1: Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. On to Waveland, also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. And if we were looking at our DirecTV right now, we might be looking at replays of the introductory press conference of the 16th. General Manager in Chicago Cubs history. I thought it was funny that that element was mentioned so frequently. You know, it was like every time they mentioned Carter Hawkins, new Cubs GM, he is the 16th GM in Cubs history. Which, on the one hand, does sound very venerable, like it's like wow, it's been an organization for 130 years and there's only been 16 GMs. But it does feel a little different in the era of title inflation, and and where Jed Hoyer is the president, and you know when. I, I think back to when I was younger and, you know, Jim Hendry was the GM. Well it was Jim Hendry's team. It was everything fell to him and he would have even though I believe for a good stretch he had a an a president on top of him. I don't know how involved McPhail and then uh, whoever followed him was involved on the baseball side, but it is I guess generally interesting how differently we think of a GM nowadays than even as recently as I don't know, ten years ago. It was it was kind of a new deal. Well, it's,
2: I mean, a lot of people still don't get it. They still don't understand. I've been getting a lot of people saying they're totally undercutting the new GM by trying to extend Ross before he, before he even uh, is, you know, given the job. Like, this is crazy. And I was like, it's Jed's team. Like, Jed, like, Jed's interviewing the GM. If the GM isn't down with David Ross being the manager, then Jed probably isn't going to offer him the job. Like, this is nobody's being undercut here. He doesn't get the final say. Like, Jed gets the final say. That's exactly how it worked with Theo and Jed. That's how it worked, you know, works all across baseball. Like, John Daniels, Chris Young, I mean, Farhan, and uh, Scott Harris. I mean, you can go down the list. That's how baseball works nowadays. Very rarely is there a team president who isn't running the things in the face of the organization anymore. That's just how it works.
3: It's also kind of undercut, too, when the Cubs just didn't fill the position last season at all. Um, I did like Jed's line about, you know, Carter has enormous shoes to fill. I thought that was uh, pretty funny.
4: You
2: you know Theo would have had a quip there about, like, well, your shoes aren't very big, some short joke or something like that. He
1: And it is the the weird dynamic, too. Of like, I was gonna say he just had a, he had a very expectant look. He he made the joke and then he kind of looked up from his mic and it's like anybody <laughs> catch
3: what I was I was referring to myself there? No. Okay. And then he also has probably more sympathy than Theo to the GM just sitting up there and not getting any <laughs> questions. So some of it was structured in that way where there were more kind of Carter centric lines of questioning for the TV show and then Jed and Hawkins did kind of break out things afterwards on the second floor deck of the Wrigley office building.
1: Yeah, I guess it was, it was also nice to see I was watching the the stream of the press conference to see the back of people's heads again. Like that, that's really <laughs> what the pandemic took from us and people standing up awkwardly and blocking the camera. And um, yeah, it was, I, uh, I don't know what you, I tried not to have any expectations for an introductory press conference like that, but what struck me most is, um, not specifically about Carter Hawkins or even Jed in that instance, was just the last time we were experiencing something like that, it was the introduction of Jed Hoyer by Theo Epstein, what, like a week after Theo had been hired. It was sort of, there was that tiny little gap where it was, remember it was like, I think he's going to bring Jed Hoyer and was his GM. And so it was all still one big bucket. And so what I was curious to see emerge yesterday and did not, and it will take over time is what that relationship is going to look like between the two men, not in terms of their interpersonal relationship, but how roles will be managed, how authority will be managed, who's going to do what. Who, You know, I understand that generally this setup is just, it's it's two important voices in a room and, and that's what it is. And the final say is Jeds and that's how it will be. But you would start to like to see, well, and because Carter Hawkins, you know, skills, Hugh more toward the player development side, he'll be a little bit more hands-on there or whatever. And so I, I'm curious, is that something that we're just going to have to see evolve over the next year plus and there's just there was nothing that anybody could say yesterday so there's no point of even really touching on that
2: well I mean I guess my response to that is what do we know exactly like what Theo did and what Jed did and who leaned on what like they did a good job of like pretty much you know we just assumed they were a team Theo had the final say Theo uh, did most of the media, but Jed was there as well occasionally. And I just feel like we don't know exactly what they did, right? What what was – in this case, we know that Carter Hawkins was sought after with a player development background, with a heavy player development background. But what would you say was Theo and Jed's strength prior to this, right? We don't really know. We don't really label them. They're just kind of uh, – uh, you know, just leaders of organizations. How we've viewed them, right? So, so I guess as far as what they what they'll do and how the relationship will evolve, I, I think that's totally we have to wait and see. I think you're right there. Uh, I I asked Hawkins directly whether he's going to be. You know, I said, obviously you have many hats, but uh, you wear many hats as GM, but will you be pretty hands-on with player development? And his response is, I'm going to be hands-on in the sense like I'm in a phase right now where I need to... Where I'm trying to figure out where we are, where am I in this organization and where is this organization? So he's he's trying to feel his way out and he's going to be hands on in the sense that he's going to be in constant communication with with guys like Matt Dory, Craig Breslow, Jeff Greenberg, all the, you know, the assistant GMs, the VP of player development, Dan Kantrovitz, all, you know, amateur scouting, all that stuff. All that stuff is he needs to know. He needs to get to know these people. He needs to communicate with all of them. And then he needs to, you know, I think he's going to need to, especially with player development, if he sees something that's not working efficiently, or, you know what, I like this concept, but we're not implementing it properly, or you're not communicating this properly to the players. This is going to be real. This is really complex stuff. We don't have the right person in place to get these players to buy in. Here's how you need to work. That I've seen this. I've seen this work. So this is a good plan. But you need to do it this way. You need to talk to this guy this way. Obviously, you shouldn't be bark- barking orders and bossing people around. You need to develop that relationship and find a way to massage the message so it, it 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 comes across well. But I'm just saying, like I think that's where his his he needs to show us that he he's a great communicator and collaborator because I I do think. That's kind of been missing uh, since Jed took over and not not Jed's fault. I mean, a pandemic hit right when a ton of new people were put into different positions. It's really hard to build those relationships. So now it's almost like you're you're kind of starting. I don't want to say from scratch, but there's a lot of relationships that need to be built over that probably started this past year. This past summer when things opened up a little bit more, and it needs to continue to grow. There needs to be a ton of that collaboration and communication uh, that really builds over the next, uh, definitely this offseason and hopefully through the summer.
3: I thought Hawkins came across well when he kind of told the story of kind of like being at Wrigley Field during the 2016 World Series and hearing Go Cubs go and kind of, you know, name dropping you know his family, his kids, and you know saying how at Vanderbilt, you know, I want to be a pro baseball player, and then Dave Price walked into the door. I thought he was appropriately humble because there were those times where he leaned on the corporate buzzwords of like digestible information and processes upon processes, and it's like that's like not what the Cubs need right now. They need someone who can like talk straight to people, and I and I did think that he showed elements of his personality that probably came across during his interviews with Jed. And I think it's just going to be really fascinating to see, like, you know, Cleveland generally has been kind of like lauded by the national media. Like, I mean, going all the way back to like John Hart and, you know, the Cleveland hasn't won anything since like the 1940s, but everyone kind of, you know, bows down towards Cleveland's front office and how creative they are and, you know, how great they are in the pitching side and kind of overlooking that they don't have like any hitters. And, <laughs> It will be really fascinating to walk into this Cubs job where, like, every blogger and every fan has an opinion about, like, the class A pitchers, like, pitch mix and, like, the kind of layers to this organization and some of the baggage uh, across departments. That it's not going to be this, like, kind of, like, small little family shop that they had going on in Cleveland. Like, there's going to be um, a really steep, learning curve and, you know, first impressions I thought were were pretty good in being able to uh, make those adjustments and show some personality.
1: So I want to put this to you guys because I thought um, the question was appropriately directed to new Cubs GM Carter Hawkins yesterday at his introductory presser and he rightly uh, demurred and was not going to address it directly. So here, I'm going to put it to you guys and you're going to answer for him other than being a guy who's had a lot of different kinds of baseball experience in an organization that has generally had success on player development, particularly on the pitching side. Um, what does a guy like Hawkins, what can he bring directly to a new organization like the Cubs? You know, he answered it as Mooney referenced. And he, I heard this morning later joked on uh, in an interview with the score that his wife told him to stop saying processes so much. So he's, he, he already has a <laughs> And, you know, to his, again, to his credit, that's, you're just not going to answer, you know, it's not like he's going to say, well, we had a formula that we could put, you know, but I'm, I'm curious what you guys think specifically, or at least less abstractly, what can someone who's been in the Cleveland Indians organization for 14 years bring day one that he's just sort of got in the repository of his mind that the Cubs can use and apply? Because that's got to be part of this hiring, right? Like, right. yes, he has skills to bring to bear, but some of it's the experience.
2: Yeah, I think that's hard to answer because it's, I mean, he, like he said, there's no secret formula here, right? There's no, like, well, he even joked, right? He said, well, the secret to success with developing pitching is, and then he stopped himself. He's like, well, I'm kidding. There's no There's no secret here. There's no one simple answer. I think, uh what you hope that he can bring is is kind of what I was touching on before and 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 really make sure that this that what they're doing not only like makes sense and works but that they're communicating that the, like everybody is on the same page with this stuff right that you want to make sure that the coaching staff at AAA and AA and you know all the way down to the Arizona uh, Complex League they're all Applying This similar, or the same methods, but not just doing it, you know, like cookie cutter, like every pitcher has to do this. Every pitcher has to do this. But like, you know, you have to figure out individualized plans, but like a, a, a an overarching philosophy that works for those plans. Right. I, I'm not sure if I'm making sense when I say that, but, but essentially that's what. They've tried to apply that uh, already, and I think he he needs to be one of those people that's that's making sure it's being implemented properly. Uh, you would like to think that that he's he's going to be one of those people that that connects the different departments and and helps get them uh, working hand in hand. I think just from observing from afar, I feel like at minimum, uh, Cleveland was really good at. At like pro scouting I I look at the trades that they make right pro scouting seem to be really good at working with player development and finding the types of at least pitchers that would work well with what they're doing right Uh, I mean you you talk about someone like Cal Quantrill you talk about like go all the way back to like Corey Kluber and then through like as recent as as Cal Quantrill uh, hey quick quick question
1: how did how did the Indians get uh Corey Kluber
2: three-team trade with San yeah, Diego. Do Jed
1: came,
3: Hoyer. Yeah. Do
1: you
2: remember who gave him up? Oh, <laughs> it was, was it Jed, Jed Hoyer? Hoyer? <laughs> yeah. Jed yeah. didn't know what he had.
3: <laughs> they just need to find <laughs> another Jed Hoyer to trade him Corey Kluber.
4: <laughs>
2: that's the, maybe that's the answer right there. <laughs> it's, it, Carter Hawkins is going to keep Jed from trading away the next <laughs> Corey Kluber. <laughs> he, knows,
1: yeah, he knows how to identify the next mark. <laughs>
3: I mean, I think to piggyback on what Sahadev is saying, I think there's just a need for kind of boosting morale within that department and uh, lightening the load in certain areas. Like, I know everyone has to go crazy on the prospect stuff now because that's where the Cubs are. But, like, this was not a good year in the minor leagues just because we're paying attention to it and it's getting more. Headlines doesn't mean, like, the Cubs have it figured out. There are lots of injuries. Uh, I mean, COVID has become, uh, you know, a whole other set uh, of issues. Uh, you see uh, Major League Baseball moving towards securing housing uh, for minor league players. I think there's kind of an awareness of those issues that can, you know, blow up in an organization's face uh, if they're not uh on top of things and you know, I don't know how well uh, David Ross knows Carter Hawkins. I think Sahada, you spoke to Carter yesterday and sound like, you know, they're kind of still in the get to know you phase, but what did David Ross continually say throughout the year? It was, you know, that's great that you can throw stuff in a pitch lab, but like, does it work in a real game? And and I think there are these gaps that the Cubs need to close from You know, the theoretical driveline pitch lab academic stuff to the like, what do you have today? Can you compete? Can you make adjustments in real time? And and I would imagine that's where someone like Carter Hawkins would come in.
4: The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, so Cubs have their GM in place. We'll be hearing more from Carter Hawkins in the weeks and months ahead. That al- that also, by the way, will just be an interesting dynamic. Like it always felt like, particularly in the early years of Theo and Jed being in charge, that whenever. Jed was offered up to speak. It it, it felt, and I'm speaking to- wholly as an outsider, as a fan. I was not involved in actual, you know, media work at that level. But it always felt like it was like a, eh, go ahead, go get him, Jed. You can handle <laughs> this one. Like a, you know, and I, I wonder, just purely academically, if Carter Hawkins will be made available in the same way, where it'll be like, eh, you know what, you handle it, or if it'll be a little more systematized, where it's like, no, he's gonna have you know, regularly engage on whatever topics. And um that's that's more of an interest for like someone like me who likes to cover that stuff. But
2: I'll I'll tell you this, Brett. I think the way it it real like from just memory, like going off my memory, it's it's mostly like press conferences. Theo's there and takes most of the questions. Jed kind of sits to the side and we later on we joke about how he didn't answer anything uh and then uh GM meetings and winter meetings it's kind of well especially winter meetings it's like switch off uh Theo goes one day Jed goes one day Theo goes the last day and I think that's how it goes at the GM meetings if I'm remembering correctly as well so it's kind of like that's where Jed gets his chance to like talk or did when he was GM was at the GM meetings and the winter meetings outside of that it's road trips that the gm is sent on and stuff like that uh but mostly i assume it'll work i, I don't know if it'll work exactly the same uh, hawkins seems perfectly capable of handling the media and 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 talking to us he, he seems pretty talkative so uh I, i'm sure that that we'll, we'll see how that evolves
3: and the cubs need something you know david ross is the one wearing it every single day and you know jed does not travel on every single road trip. I think very few executives do. But, like, and obviously there are kind of other more junior personnel who would represent the front office on the road. But to have another voice of authority who can, you know, kind of speak for Jed and, you know, players kind of know that this is a GM talking to them and that David Ross doesn't have to kind of carry that every single day on every single topic when reporters can't go into the clubhouse and – ask, you know, whatever players, whatever they want. Like, I think that's, uh, you know, something that the Cubs should aim for that to empower Hawkins to let him speak and offer ideas and kind of um, help shape, uh, you know, their public perception at a time when, you know, they could use a boost. I mean, and that too is probably shouldn't be understated as a
1: transition in the job for him. I mean, not only is he going from, Cleveland Indians to the Chicago Cubs where the public interest and the media pressure and the, that element is going to be fundamentally different, but he's going from an AGM role where he, I mean, I I was sort of searching out uh, last week when his name surfaced, like what are some of the speaking things that he's done? It's pretty limited and it's pretty friendly. Uh, And so That too. I mean, that's kind of a double whammy of a transition for him, which will be interesting. But um, yeah, you touched on, Sahadev, what I was kind of setting up was just the idea that we're a couple weeks out from the end of the season. GM meetings will take place soon thereafter. The Cubs will have organizational meetings where they um, further cement their plans for the offseason, but also uh, various organizational imperatives on the developmental side. So it was seemingly pretty critical to get this... Um, role lined up for Carter Hawkins here before the end of October. And so that's, that's good to see. Um, I imagine there will still be this um, delicate dance of him getting to know the, the people in the organization, but also the methodologies where the communication gaps are, where he can help fill in. And um, yeah, I mean, I think this, this conversation for me, at least was useful as just a reminder as the, as the press conference was yesterday that, it's we're not going to we're just not going to know what the evolution is of the front office and how it impacts the product on the field for a matter of years because there's going to be this process of of hawkins learning the cubs and the cubs learning hawkins and how to um, best use his skill set and then even when that's optimized it you know a lot of it's going to be down on the farm and that's going to take several years to manifest in the big leagues and it's, it's like a lot of things with baseball. I think we come back to this idea that a lot of the best decisions you make now aren't really going to show up for three, four, or five years. And we, as outside observers, just have to accept that. And it's not fun, and it's not doesn't make for, for spicy takes, but I think that's the reality. And I, I think this process of, of adding this first G- new external GM is, is a stark reminder of how long that process can be processes. I said processes.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I, would also caution people to just assume like, uh, caution them from, to avoid assuming that, you know, whatever worked in Cleveland can work elsewhere. Right. It, it obviously wasn't one person, uh, in charge of that, uh, as involved as Hawkins may or may not have been, uh, it, it's not possible for him to bring it all over and have it work exactly as it did there. Otherwise, Toronto would be a pitching you know uh, machine as well. Uh, Minnesota would be a pitching development machine right now as well. Uh, there's probably other organizations where where there are Cleveland uh, execs who who have high roles, former Cleveland execs who have high roles. it's It's obviously multiple people. Or there's some guy that nobody's talking about there that just has the secret sauce and nobody other than like, uh, you know, one person knows that this guy exists and he just distributes all that information and then shuts it down once a guy leaves the organization. I don't know, but uh, he has no ambition at all. He's just like, like, (laughs) I just
1: I like my job in the basement guarding the vault of the secret sauce. Yeah. Uh,
2: But I mean, obviously, like, you know, Toronto has has done a great job of, of building something there, but it's. It's not like you don't hear about, like, hey, here's another guy, here's another pitcher, here's another pitcher. I mean, maybe whatever worked for Robbie Ray is a similar concept that's working for, uh, that's worked for pitchers in Cleveland, but I don't know. I, I, I really don't know, uh, and and there's not a ton of evidence to say that Toronto or Minnesota have have brought these ideas and really executed implemented them and 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 it's working perfectly they're both have been uh of late competitive teams outside of you know this last year for Minnesota but it's just hard to it's hard to come to a conclusion and say like well pitching development's fixed now that they got the Cleveland guy in town so <laughs> Uh, you just got to be careful here, cautious here and hope that uh, hope that he's just another voice and piece of uh, piece of the puzzle to really help them uh, build something special once again.
3: I mean, it's also dangerous to do these paint by number stories, too, because Mickey Callaway was once viewed as this, you know, shining example of Cleveland's pitching factory, and he was obviously <clears throat> exposed and uh out of baseball because of his inappropriate behavior. And I think ultimately it always comes down to players. And uh, Jed Hoyer talked about that yesterday as well, trying to explain Brett's favorite intelligent spending, uh, you know, uh, messaging, whatever they had workshopped uh, all, all together uh, up uh, in the Wrigley Field office tower, of it's not going to go. All to one guy. I mean, they're going to spend a lot of money. It just won't be on one guy. It won't be on the mega long-term horizons. Uh, But, you know, Brett, your colleague at Bleacher Nation, Michael Sarami, had mentioned this too of, like, when you add up all the cost savings they've had, like, we're going to look up at spring training whenever they report and be like, Wow the Cubs did add a, a ton of new players. I mean, you're looking at at least as a baseline minimum like what Cleveland's payroll was last year. and you could even double that and still not get to where they were to um in 2019 when the when they led the National League in payroll. I think it's obviously we all know it's just south of 40 million in terms of commitments on the books. roster resource has them at almost 92 million when you include player benefits, luxury tax accounting, arbitration estimates. I mean, that's an enormously blank, an enormous blank canvas for Hoyer and Hawkins and the rest of their group to go out and get some players, uh, even if it's not going all in to win the World Series next year. Like, the three of us could put together a competitive team next year with that much money, like, no doubt.
1: Yeah, like, if you could get everybody that you – you know wanted to target at a reasonable price point and i mean i think we we joke about the we're going to be really active but we're going to spend intelligently and i mean i i joke only in the sense that it it was clearly what they wanted to communicate not that it's wrong i mean i i think that it it actually do, it speaks to what we were talking about many months back long before the off season started about what this offseason season off season could be for the Cubs, where they would be able to be the team that aggressively targets the right kinds of short-term, high upside, high expense, high risk free agents, and um, I think to that end too, it'll it'll be really interesting to see how Hawkins, um, you know, massages into the fold because that's not necessarily what Cleveland has been known for. Although they have obviously had to play in a different end of the pool overall. And it's, it is it is not to say that the, I'm expecting the Cubs to operate like a small market team, but I would imagine there would be some similarities in, in terms of the kinds of players the Indians would have been able to aggressively target in free agency and the kinds that the Cubs would be looking to aggressively target this offseason. So there, there may be an interesting marriage there too. Um, we'll leave it. Oh wait, I know I want to ask one last just quick reaction thing from you guys, and then we'll wrap in the press conference. Carter Hawkins mentioned that uh, in the war room at the trade deadline, uh, he said, it's rare that moves come across the ticker and you sort of collectively go, Oh my gosh. How, oh, wow. Wow. And he was referencing, he said, there were multiple Cubs moves that that uh, the war room that he was involved in was reacting to, like, oh man, I can't believe they pulled that off. Did, you, did that strike you as just, uh, a, you know, introductory press conference nicety? Or do you think that that was really a reaction around baseball and some of these Cubs moves that Cubs fans were always going to have a reaction to these trades divorced from a, a baseball reaction like that was it was just it would be unreasonable to ask Cubs fans to not have a twinge of like no return for Chris Bryant is a reasonable return um so I yeah I was curious if, if you guys had thoughts on whether that was you know a legit offering of what the reaction
2: was or if it was just sort of
1: a <laughs> yeah I want to say something I, nice I have the, no idea how folks.
2: genuine that is coming from Hawkins. He seems uh, like a nice enough guy. And, and I, you know, I I don't want to assume that he's blowing smoke up our asses, but, uh, uh i will say this I, and i said it at the time i i texted a lot of people across the game not just with uh, you know outside of the org a lot of people that love to rip on the cubs as well uh, and and nobody had anything negative to say about those deals those are all trades outside of the Kimbrel deal of guys on expiring deals everybody assumed they were in an impossible situation and they're not getting anything of that real value and everybody all those People that I talked to were like, they did, you know, with what you're working with in today's environment, you're not going to be blown away by these names, but these names are really impressive for what you're dealing away. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming, and they are, I mean, you know, they now that we know these players a little bit better, some of them seem like legit prospects. Of course, they're all at low A in Arizona Complex League, so it's all a bunch of, you know, guesswork on our part. Who the hell knows? But, yes. On paper, they look like they. From what I understand, from the people I talk to, they 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 liked those deals. Those were those were solid moves. So I, I can buy it. I can buy that Carter was was telling us
3: the truth there. As a preface, we will almost certainly use that quote within <laughs> the next week or before the jamming. So, like, I believe it to that point, but it did make, remind me. Of uh, this is a deep cut. I'm sure you remember Brett, but like at Theo's first press conference, he was asked about like the draft, and he gave this glowing quote of like, <laughs> "Wow, you know, we were sitting in our draft room and seeing the Cubs making moves, spending money. It was like, wow, they mean business. Like, the last year of the CBA, and then of course they show up and like piss on everything that was in the farm system, and you know, spent years trying to trade Javi Baez. Like, there are things you say at press conferences, and you might mean parts of it." And it sounds good, and you know, <laughs> I'll use the quote, don't get me wrong, but there are also times you're kind of like, really? <sighs>
1: <laughs> All right, that's a good that's a good spot. Good spot. So um, we will be back at you next week. This is uh, Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic, of course. And make sure you get the app. Subscribe to this podcast, rate, review. All that good stuff. So we will talk to you next week. Take care.